It's yeah. not the uh, the Mego taking your brain out and putting it into a into a container. <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> oh, God, that would be depressing. But hey, you'd get to see the see the stars. No, you don't, because you're a brain in a jar. No, but you do. You just have to see it as a brain in a jar. That sounds terrible. Welcome to Weird Sequence, Season 1, Sequence 9. Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. Be aware spoilers and trigger warnings for the following. Murder, implied murder, psychological trauma, implied sexual misconduct, attempted suicide, mutilation incest, miscarriage, animal cruelty. It's all fun at the carnival, folks. And I went completely blank there. I was like, I'm just going to do the summary, and I went completely blank. It's great. It's okay. You know, that's a great, that's a great, like, exercise in acting, is, like, the yes-no back and forth. Like, how many different ways (laughs) can you say no with different meaning, you know? Like... I actually, I saw. I was trying that because I saw a. Um, I saw a, um, a piece where a bass player was talking about how many different ways can you play the same note, and he actually oh, yeah. he had personally sat down and come up with about seventeen, <laughs> and went through them all. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, well, that's the kind of stuff you think about when you're playing the same note for thirty-two measures. Boom, 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 boom. Anyway. Hello! Welcome to the Weird Sequence. We're your hosts. I'm Phil Allegheri. And Damien Haster. And this week we are covering Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. Which we should have done last month, but August kind of got away from us. <laughs> Life. August was definitely a thing that happened. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Some days you feel like Marvin, the manically depressed android... Oh, life! Don't talk to me about life. No, I, I think I think my favorite one with uh, Marvin was when he uh, he shows up with the guns like come with me, and they're like, um, he's like, or don't, whatever, wonder <laughs> stuff. I I like when he when he plugs into the uh, into the what is it into a giant military uh, AI tank, and the AI tank gets so depressed that it offs itself <laughs> yeah that's a good one um but yes um yeah so this book is not a a how-to novel of how you should uh, get a girlfriend as a uh, nerdy type person no 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 it is definitely fact, absolutely any... nothing like that whatsoever <laughs> Any any romantic advice you get from this book, you should probably ignore and run the other way screaming. Screaming would be good. I also have a nasty sneaking suspicion, because I did suggest this for the uh, book club I run at work, that actually they saw the title and assumed that it was something, some kind of like rom-com fiction. <laughs> and You could let them think that. And not the... Uh, not the story of degenerate kind of carnival sideshow freaks um, and their mental psychic brother so who's gonna summarize this i can summarize this all right this book is insane (laughs) 
Show done. See you later, people. Yeah, I know. I, I, you know, we, we said this with the uh, the Great Grod Pan. It was just like, oh, Christ, how much stuff can happen in one book? And and Ubik. And, and Ubik. And um, no, we were wrong. You can entirely turn that up. <laughs> um, so basically, Geek Love is a story of the Binwinski family, which are Aloysius Binwinski, who's the kind of ringmaster of a, a circus slash sideshow, traveling sideshow, a carnival affair. His wife, Crystal Lil, who is a, a kind of Boston socialite that they, he marries. And their plan to create a freak show by doping Lil's pregnancies to create mutant children. Of which I think, what did they have? Seven children of which four survived, something like that. No, actually, no, no, nine, I think. Yeah, there were a bunch. Oh, yeah. So A, a clutch. A clutch, yes. Mm. Um, so, the story follows really two paths. One is Olympia, who is a... Well, it's all told from the point of view of Olympia, who is a albino dwarf, who, in the present day, is kind of keeping an eye on her estranged mother and her uh, adopted well well she didn't adopt her she yeah she gave her up for adoption it's her actual daughter yes so her actual well i guess again a estranged daughter um Mm -hmm. who live in the same house as her that don't know that she's there or (laughs) owns the house or is paying them or anything of these things they just they're like oh hey we've got lucky with this stuff um and it's very much following the story of her daughter has this kind of residual tail an actual boned like tail yeah and which happens sometimes which does ha- well no actually i think generally when it does happen it doesn't have bones and i think they mention that in the stories generally when people have tails they don't have bones hers is a full right. fully formed boned tail which is oh, kind of yes, crazy that's true. Mm-hmm. um so she basically gets uh there is this woman who is obsessed with I don't even know how to explain it exactly. Removing people's uniqueness so they can move on with their careers? No, not their uniqueness, their lack of uniqueness. She's so Yeah, how how <sighs> how exactly do you explain Miss Lick? So so I didn't realize it until until after I had finished reading the book, but she's she's a f- um She's in some way connected to Arturism, which is the the cult that that Artie cooked up, which we'll get to shortly. Um, right. Yeah. So, she, no, so she, her, she's her whole thing is that. that if you're if you're normal and attractive and you've got your whole life working for you, that you're you're bound to fail because you'll be distracted by your own normalcy. But if you if you remove that normalcy and that attractiveness, um, then, you know, and make yourself, um, you know, disfigured, then, then you only then can you really focus on being successful. And, right. To, to sort yeah. of become disconnected from society, you become more successful because you focus on what you do. Right. Kind of. And actually she, she does some pretty horrendous things to people, you know, setting fire to people, um, mm-hmm. paying for people to have um, complete mastectomies, mm-hmm. um, pretty physical disfiguring things. And I, well, where Olympia goes after this woman is because she 
essentially arranges with her daughter Miranda to have this tail removed. Miss Slick was going to pay her to have the tail removed. Right. Like, uh, I'll pay your medical bills and I'll pay you to do it. Like, quite a significant amount of money. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Olympia being a sideshow freak, freaks out, befriends Miss Lick, murders her. I guess it's a murder-suicide. And ends up leaving, you know, this this letter and, you know, all this memorabilia, sort of history of the family and everything for her daughter. Mm-hmm. That's one half the story. The other half of the story yeah. being the recollections and the build-up to those current events, again, from Olympia's point of view, of living in this carnival with her weirdly eccentric parents and her mutated... I think it's fair to say mutated? I think it's fair to say mutated. Um, siblings. So there's, you know, Olympia the dwarf, there is Arturo, who is the, the fish boy, who has sort of flippers for hands. There's the... And feet. And feet. The uh, two Siamese sisters... And conjoined twins. Conjoined twins. It, yes. That's not what they use in the book, though, in fairness. No. Yes. Um, and then there is, of course, Chick, who is perfectly normal looking, but happens to be stunningly, shockingly, powerfully te- telekinetic. Like, he throws people yeah, around. Like, like, this is this kid should be going to Xavier's school for, <laughs> for talented children. Like. Yes. Very X-Men level kind of uh, yes. <laughs> abilities. That story essentially ends up with the brother taking Arturo taking over the um, the Fabulon, which is the the carnival, and essentially turning it into a sort of a mutilation cult. Mm-hmm. This concept of Arturism, which is what Miss Lick is following in sort of the modern day, and there's a whole rampage of you know con art games, violence, mm-hmm. medical medical terrifying medical everything um a little bit of incest like, uh, yeah a little bit of incest a little bit of uh i mean there's there's an uncomfortable sexual tension between several of the siblings throughout the book um, this is true this is not a book for those that are sensitive toward um, social taboos. <laughs> of course, if you if you've gotten to this point in the broadcast already, and you are sensitive to this, you clearly didn't listen to this, <laughs> the trigger warnings at the start of the yeah. show. We'll probably have to have a separate episode just for Jesus Christ. We're going to have to this. have a separate episode <laughs> for the trigger warnings. And it basically culminates with him building this cult. Oh, I forget exactly how it goes down, but do they lobotomize one of the sisters? Yeah, so one of the one of the conjoined twins is in love with Artie, and the other one hates him. And there's this tension there. Who, to clarify, is their brother? Right, and um, and so um, Artie, in order to hopefully like get what he wants, he has the one sister lobotomized. Um, but. Kind of at the same time, there's this whole storyline with the Bagman that is probably one of the most horrific things. Yes, the guy <sighs> who failed to commit suicide with a shotgun and removed his face. Right. Which I think that is actually based on a real thing. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah. No, no, um, I, I think I think um, about the time she was putting this together, there was a very famous case of this happening. Uh, and... Um, 
Yeah, they didn't have face transplants then. He he walked around with a bag on his head. Yeah. So, and his story is very tragic, and like he he was a guy who tried to he tried to kill the the kids years ago when they were young and failed to do it, and so um, yeah. He um, but so so he uh, he, he works. He ends up having a ha- kid with the conjoined twins called Mumpo, right? Yes, and and the the story of that going down is very um, yeah. Oh, it's it's, uh, it's all bad and corrupt and broken. And well, anyway, it's, wor- it's worse than that. You're you're being nice. <laughs> I, I really am. And and this yeah. this all sort of culminates with basically one of the 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 conjoined sisters kills the other one, and then of course the other one then dies, and this finally puts the very sensitive but shockingly powerful um, telekinetic brother completely over the hedge and he flips out and annihilates the entire carnival in a fireball. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So, following it so far? <laughs> yeah. So so basically there's two storylines going on yeah. that are that are different in different times. Yeah. But yeah. And this is this is a very um, this is one of those stories because there are a lot of stories and actually the sort of carnivals as not necessarily like a a valid form of entertainment but sort of more of a outsider quarter kind of malfessence. This is very definitely taking this to a sort of logical conclusion. Um, this is but but it also turns it on its head, like. Yeah, this is one of the one. This is one of the things that that fascinated me about this book while I was reading it is that like the the emotions that I was feeling for the characters and the situations that were going on were a lot of times exactly the opposite of what I felt that I should be feeling. Well, and this is this is what's interesting about this story because um, there's a lot of situations in this where you really just should be you shouldn't relate to this in any way, shape, or form. You yeah, know, no, I mean, Al and Lil yeah, are yeah. intentionally doping Lil with everything up to radioisotopes to create mutant children. The children yes. are weirdly isolated from the rest of society by how they look, how they are treated, how they... And, and being in a traveling carnival. And being in a traveling carnival. And they have this very weird, like, internal relationship that is separate from what even their parents know, that again revolves around you know, Arturo, who's the, the fish boy, that is heinously toxic and abusive. <laughs> and yet there are generally, genuinely moments in this, like there are pieces of, of reminiscence that make it all so shockingly normal. Ooh. And there are moments where you do catch yourself, like, you know, um, there's, there's a bit where they get jumped in a car park and they have somebody try and shoot them all. You know, and then sort of Olympia gets a bullet graze across the, the skull, I think. Arturo gets hit in the shoulder. Um, you do very much get into that situation, and it's not just, you know, oh, God, all these kids have been injured. You know, Lily's freaking out because all the doctors are like, well, what's going on with these kids? <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and, then, and, and Al, Al actually comes and whisks them out of the hospital because he doesn't trust the... Well, the medical people do not. Not, call not even that. He he comes in with Horst, who is the the guy who trains the big cats for the circus, who 
is essentially his right hand kind of like heavy guy. Yeah. Um, and he shows up with him. Is like, no, we're leaving. Mm-hmm. So there's just this this weird air of. You know, you have the the father coming in, and I'm taking all of these children who have just been shot out of this hospital so I can care for them properly with my friend here. And it's a very thuggish environment, and there's so many things that should have happened a different way. And yet it feels like this is the correct thing to do. You can kind of understand why he's defending his children. You can kind of understand why he wants to bring them back into their safe carnival, inverted commas. Yeah. And you and you understand his rationale for doing it, like the all the all the the Benewiskis except for except for Arturo are are pretty sympathetic characters. You you can you understand the way that they think and and the way that they do things. And the, there um, are there are some moments even with Arturo, I think. Um, yeah, you know the the, the first time he tries to swim again after the when he when he's sort of got his health back and he can't swim and he's just like literally kind of crying he's like oh i can't do this i can't do this and it's just his whole identity is broken and you can kind of relate it's like no i i get that like this thing he's his only thing that he does that he's known for and but it's also it. it's also the moment when he when he becomes the kind of sadistic ringleader that he that he is when, oh god yes when, <laughs> you know the the I guess the, you know, we, we talk about weird fiction and this is very weird fiction, but also, you know, there's horror in this, in this story. And the, the odd thing about it is that the, the horror in this story is the horror of normalcy because you're in these, you're in Ollie's head. You're, you're seeing these things from her perspective. And when you're in that perspective, when she sees normal people that don't have any disfigurements or anything, they seem weird. And um, the Catherine Dunn was was really clever and brilliant in how she describes right. different things about yeah, people. The- and some of the some of the the idioms and the idiomatic phrases that she uses are are really interesting too. On that on that. Yeah, yeah. There is a there is a very definite, um, very definite normalization of what is an absurd situation. Yes, because people that that grow up in these kind of environments are a little off anyway, because they've never really connected with what you would consider real life, and that's fine. I don't I don't think everybody has to be like that, but this is something above and beyond. This is. I don't, how do you even describe this? It's not exactly a horror. It's not exactly fantasy. It's not exactly a, a, a monster story. Yet somehow it's all of them, and yet somehow it's all perfectly normal. There's mm. there's an incredible air of, well, this perf- made complete sense at the time about this whole story, even when the most absurd things are happening, including, you know, uh, well, again, Archiro forms a cult where they cut their arms and legs off. And it somehow at the time makes sense. It seems normal from the context. It's, it's the, the right. natural progression of his thought process. Yeah, it's, it's really just pitched as a sideshow act that got out of control. And it kind of is. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes sense like that. And yet somehow there is so such a level of, 
why isn't this more absurd than it is? Why is this not somehow more outrageous than it is? Because it all makes perfect sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would struggle to think of something else I've read that's quite like this. Yeah, and and you know, like if you if you look this book up on in a library or, or on online, it's not going to show up under horror or weird fiction or fantasy. It's it's in literary fiction, which is kind of the this is the this is literature, you know. Um, this is the the heavy stuff, and and there's a reason for that. And like if you if you dig into it, you know it's the the writing in it is 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 brilliant. Like I was talking about like the metaphors and stuff. Like um, like she will and in the descriptions too. Like she will describe something that um, that is beautiful and that Ollie thinks is beautiful. In terms that are completely yeah. disgusting, there there is a there's um, a weird fascination or focus on sort of deformation and sort of uh, corruption um, mm-hmm. around these Binwinskis that their whole worldview is is not one that they share with anybody else. Like they, they, uh, and Archiro in particular pushes this idea of, you know, you don't want to be normal. You need to be special. You are better when you're special, you know? Um, and that's, uh, of all the things that happened during that, that thing, this is the one kind of philosophy that Ollie subscribes to. Um, hence the sort of the horror and the revulsion when she finds out Miranda's losing this tale, even though she really doesn't have any relationship with her daughter. Like she, she monitors her in that building, but she doesn't really like yeah. talk to her up until the events of this book when she she becomes like a, a live model for her because she's a medical draw uh, medical artist. Yeah, which again, there's there's nothing wholesome about this book or or this family. Yeah. Her 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 mother is you know downstairs as the the superintendent of the building who is beyond corrupted at this point. Like, um, I, I, it's, yeah, like, it's stated, I don't even think it's implied, it's stated many times that she, especially as she gets older, she becomes a full-blown drug addict because of all the things she's taken over the years to dope her pregnancies. Um, yep, yep. And she, she sits in front of her TV, like, an inch yeah. from the screen, and has a magnifying glass, like, it's, she's yeah. just, she's beyond, uh... Senile right. doesn't even... And there's, there's a point in one of the stories, uh, one of the, the sort of side stories, when they're, they're doing the recollection thing in one, in one of the parts of this, where they talk about, well, she has a handbag, and the handbag is just full of different kinds of pills, depending on what she needs that day to get through the day. Because her blood chemistry is so yeah. broken at this point. But that's fine, that's just what Mother does, whatever. Um, you know, yeah. Miranda, who is never really had anything to do with these people at all, is still a, a anatomical illustrator. Is, is, that's, this is what she wants to do with her life. So she spent, oh. is, is by her own description, quite good at this. So here you have someone who is who is still blood-related to these people, but not really lived with them. And she, her normalcy is still drawing disconnected pieces of other people's bodies. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's just something very... Yep broken about their whole worldview just very corrupt about the whole thing um yeah and and like 
Miranda in in comparison to the other to the other people in the book seems normal but then when you look at her life kind of through your own lens it's like she works um, at a strip club like mm-hmm. on the side to make extra money because she's got a tail and you know there are guys who like that which but, which is interesting I thought that Ollie didn't have any issues with any of this so like a, a, no, Olympia is that just was, that, that was not like, a okay, not a, a not it's a, a show this thing. is what you do you show people your your kind of Right, and and Ollie even even Ollie even gets up and dances at the strip club too. Well, always. somewhat reluctantly, but yes, yes. Um, yeah. Which I, th- I think because Ollie's the sort of the least uh, mutated of the children, apart from Chick, who looks completely normal. So really, she's just a mm-hmm. dwarf who's somewhat good at speaking in public. Well, in in the carnival, she's somewhat good at it, but then when she leaves, the, when everything. It's the fan. Well, yeah, like, she she becomes a she sort of a radio and, narrator. It makes yeah. quite a good living as like a like a radio narrator, and and she does rather yeah. well at it. Um, so let's talk about let's oh. talk about wait, 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 wait. Boy. So bef- be- before we oh, get into that, I wanna I wanna I wanna share this because um, this is this is one of my favorite books. Period. Like, um, I, I I found this book by accident and. I I read it and it's one of those books I just read in as quick as possible because I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the copy of this book I have is I got from a hotel in Key West when I was, was uh, visiting with my then girlfriend, now wife. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was one of those take a book, leave a book kind of libraries. And all the books, you know, immaculate, perfect, great. And then right in the middle of it, there was one book I couldn't read the spine on because it was held together with tape. And of course, mm-hmm. me being me, I had to look at that one. And it was Geek Love. So I started to read it and I was like, I have to finish this. So I, I took it with me when we left. But the book is damaged. It is moldy. It is stained with something I can't identify. Actually, multiple things I can't identify. The pages are tatty. The sp- the, the binding is gone. It's held together with tape. So the whole book is just this collection of like rotting, miscolored pages. Just, just like, like the characters, characters in this book. And this is, in my opinion, the best way to read this story. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it, it. I don't think it can be said strongly enough. Like, we, you know, we're talking about this book and we're, we're talking about how there's disgusting, horrible, twisted things in it. But... But you know, this book is incredibly well written. It's a, it's a an, an amazing. It, it, it really book. is. It it and it's. Uh, I think Catherine Dunn only ever wrote about three things, um, of which this mm-hmm. is the best known. I think. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing else quite like this, and and I, I don't want to say oh it's genre bending blah blah blah. It's it's not even that. It's it's, it's one of those books that's just this is an artifact. This is its own thing. Right. It's, you aren't it's, gonna. It's literary fiction. It it can right. be whatever it wants to be because you, it's literary yeah. You, fiction. you can't say oh well, it's a homage to this, or you can't say well, it's tied into this, or it it, it takes you know it, it derives from this thing. It's its own strange, weird beast, and um, if you can stomach it, I strongly recommend it. Anyway, yeah, let let's let's go through some of the key points. Of this so uh, you wanted to go with uh, Archiro the Equiboy <clears throat> because he he's right. really the linchpin to quite a lot of the story and a lot of the events of the story revolve around him. So, so, so Artie is, um, 
he is I think I think his big thing is that he is extremely charismatic and he knows it. Um, he he takes pride in being the showstopper. Um, you know, in the, at the beginning of the book, before the incident with with the, the guy in the car park, he he's very much his daddy's mm-hmm. boy. Like he's you know he's he's being mentored by his dad about how to run a carnival. And, yeah, and he he is the uh, he is the big show. He he is the main mm-hmm. draw for a lot of the crowds that go through the Fabulon. Which is what they call the carnival. Yeah. Um, he's also, as you say, very charismatic. Possibly naturally charismatic, not just necessarily a, a learned thing. Though he's definitely honed this skill. He's also a prolific mm. reader, and it's it's implied that he has probably an above average IQ. He's yeah. also but, very manipulative, dismissive of everybody, yes. paranoid, and frankly a little sadistic. And oh narciss- God, yeah, narcissistic. He is he's openly abusive to to uh, Olympia even though she's his primary caregiver for a lot of the story casually. Mm-hmm. It's like, "Well, I'm doing this. Yeah. You wouldn't understand that because you've got, you know, shit for brains." And he he has right. literally <laughs> no value to anybody else around him if they aren't immediately useful to him. So he is he is, mm-hmm. starts off as a somewhat likable character and very quickly becomes uh, yeah, I, I would probably say the villain of the piece. He he very much um, becomes a very uh, malevolent kind of corrupting force. Yeah, he has he has he has charisma in the same way that Adolf Hitler had charisma. Like he uh, and 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 the the whole point where he turns into that is this incident in the car park where he gets shot, and and that that incident kind of shows him what normal people really think of them and he doesn't forget that Mm -hmm. um and so he he has a very low opinion of his audience after that but he was he's happy to take their money um and and at some point like there's there's this reporter that hangs out with them um Mm -hmm. writing stories about them for the newspaper and at some point in talking to him, he realizes that people are coming to watch him. And if he could, like, I think at some point after he gets shot, he, he like, gets up on the, the he, like, leans on the edge of his tank and just starts talking to mm-hmm. the people. And they're, like, riveted by, by listening to him. And, and after that, he realizes that it's not just his his performance and his show that people are riveted by, they want to, they want to understand like, what is it like to be him? Or at least that's what he thinks. Yeah. He, he definitely buys into the idea that not that he's a freak, but he is something special. And all of these sort of dull humdrum people want to buy in at least temporarily that air of that unique air that he has. And, and and it's definitely you know his his cult thing definitely just starts as as an experiment like well you know what happens if we let's put speakers out there and let's give me a mask that I can talk into with yeah. a microphone while I'm in the tank and okay oh now let's put speakers under the benches so that my voice like vibrates the benches and and he 
it just kind of is a, a natural progression of like tweaking the show to be more ridiculous well, and more performative. And what's what's real interesting as well, because um, he, he, he absolutely takes over and displaces his parents as the sort of the, the controller of the show. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure, you know, I was thinking, I'm not sure that, that I mean, I think that Crystal Lil knows that Artie took over. I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure that, that Al ever really figures that out or if, or if Artie is just clever enough that he lets Al think that he's Well, that, that's, charged. that's actually another, another good point we'll get into in a minute. The, the trick, the other trick as well with Artie is, he, you know, he, he's a narcissist. They don't at ever any point try and play this down or make it nice or, or, you know, oh, well, you know, he just does that. So the other siblings are like, yeah, Artie's kind of awful, but that's just what Artie does. And are very cognizant that he does this stuff. A large part of why he kind of, you know, starts these sort of cult-like actions is because he realizes he can manipulate people. Mm-hmm. And he just does it because he can. It's not that he has any need to. It's not that it's great for the show. It's just he can and he wants to, so he will. There are times that he appears to, like, when when maybe someone confronts him, like, why are you doing this? And he's like, that's funny, you know. Look at what the norms are doing. You know, they're, you know, this guy agreed to get his mm-hmm. pinky cut off to be a little bit more like me. Like, that's hilarious. Come on. Yeah. Um, but then at other times, it's definitely like a an ego stroke, like, you know, these people want to follow me. Oh, no, it, it definitely is. Um, especially later on when he is, when he does have people carving themselves up, it, it is very much just for his own amusement and gratification. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking, you know, one or two people here. We're, we're talking, I think, at the point the Fabulon goes up in smoke. Hundreds? Mm-hmm. Thousands, maybe? It's a yeah, lot of they're... people. There were, there's like, I think they said that the caravan of Artie's followers is like, uh, like f- a couple miles long. Yeah. And they have um, to have like a second camp for, for those people. And, yeah. and there's like, there's like, it's, it's like the cult is actually fairly complex. Like there are, mm-hmm. there are levels of membership and, and requirements to get from one level to the other. And they're. There is an ultimate goal that lands you in kind of a retirement community. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, he has all of the culty hallmarks. You know, he requires the people to, to donate their their worldly possessions, and and he he love bombs them and abuses them, and like you know, it's it's very um, culty cult cult. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's an interesting scene towards the end of the book. Um, so Olympia is always treated as this very like downtrodden, like almost second-rate child because mm-hmm. she isn't terribly special. You know, right. she's, she doesn't really have any talents. She's just a a dwarf with a hunchback who's albino. Mm-hmm. She's she's not a conjoined twin that plays piano and sings. She's she's not the aqua boy who swims around his tank. She's certainly not Chick who is is throwing people across the room with his mind. Um, but people don't understand she she's also kind of quite a lot like Artie. Mm-hmm. When she needs to be, she can manipulate people. She can absolutely play the norms, as they, they refer to it. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a sequence where her and Horst, um, who is, I think, the only other survivor, 
of, of from the main kind of central characters. Mm-hmm. Talk about the the wrapping up the what was left of the the Church of Arturo, um, and putting everybody into homes to have them cared for. And this is the kind of stuff she does before she sets up the whole housing situation where she's watching her mother and daughter without them really knowing about it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you. the only difference really you, you realize between, I guess, between Arturo and Olympia is that Arturo wasn't inhibited at any point. Mm-hmm. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this now. Olympia just wasn't really ever confident enough to do it. There was certainly nothing on her part that she couldn't do it. The way that she kills Miss Lick is... is um, you, you have to remind me, she looks her in a room and it's like bleach and chlorine. Right, so she 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 had been like worming her way into Miss Lick's life as a friend. And mm-hmm. they, they had been going to the, to the pool and swimming together for I don't even know how long. Months, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Miss Lick is very routine driven. She does the exact same things every day. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one day Olympia said, oh, I have this thing to do. I won't be there today. But in fact, she was like waiting inside a locker. <laughs> and so Miss Lick gets out of the pool, goes into the locker room, um, has a shower and then goes into the sauna room that Olympia has already had already modified the door to have some tubes coming in and out of it. Mm-hmm. And there was like a, a reservoir in there that was full of, um, yeah, chlorine. Yeah. Or no, it was bleach. And then she pumps chlorine into the yeah. room to make yeah mustard gas or whatever. It I, I, th- I, th- I think the effect was, well, chlorine, chlorine gas itself is, is pretty dangerous. Yes. Um, I think the effect was to make it look like someone had accidentally like discharged bleach into the that room when there was somebody in there. Right. Um, it didn't entirely go according to plan. No. Um, oh, but what I was saying is that the way the way that she kills Miss Lick is um, is almost like cartoonishly elaborate. <laughs> yeah. Because in the end, she ends up shooting her and then herself. But like, yeah. the chlorine and the bleach thing, like, but but you know that's the thing about like my one criticism of the book um, that I can think of is that you're going along in the book and you're the story's progressing and progressing, and then like within thirty pages, it goes from like you know main sequence storyline to resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, it ends. It feel it, the the ending felt very quick to me, um, to the point where I actually read the ending twice because I was like, "What happened? <laughs> what just happened?" No, yeah, and it, and uh, I think if I recall correctly, that is that is in part how Catherine Dunn wrote this because I think this was a project she did while she was traveling around the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, very very much. Not in a carnival, I don't think, but very much like a transient nomadic lifestyle for a while. So it was very much a, a project of love over a period of time, and then it was just like, oh yeah, now I need to finish it. Yeah, oh, there's so, a deadline, right, okay, yeah. let's do this. Um, 
that would make sense because it it seemed to end. I mean, I mean, just looking at yeah. the looking at the the list of chapters, like it's it's separated by books. And yeah, so it's four book books three, over. Sorry, twenty eight chapters over four books. But book four is only three chapters. So yeah, oh yeah. So it, it ended really quickly. Yeah, so we, we have the abrupt violent end. We have the, the main driving force of this, which is the, the, the sort of narcissistic manipulative brother. Let's let's take a step back. Um, let's look at Al. So Aloysius Binwinski, the, the owner of the Fabulon, on paper at least. Mm. He was raised in the carnival. His father didn't do a very good job of it when he died. Um, trying to figure out what to do with his remains, he had the the urn welded to the front of the main drive truck for the carnival. And he decides with the help of this girl that he met that they are going to create their own sideshow freaks. He is a fascinating character. He's like, he's like an Americana dream. He really is. He's, he's He's both. He's the pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get the job done. And, you know, don't trust the man. And, you know, Oh yeah. There is, there is a definite, the definite paranoia of just having a life completely on the road. There's a definite like, oh, well, we just do things we make do. There's some of that classic Carney kind of like, well, don't trust a Carney. They're always trying to trick you because he's always trying to trick people. <laughs> right. He, he full out uses his telekinetic son to create, commit fraud. There's <laughs> also an air. That, that was of, a great scene. Yeah. They go, to, they go to a casino and Chick is like slipping the wallets out of people's pockets without them knowing no not even he's the taking wallets. the he's cash out of the, the wallets and then zooming it along the floor where al can has a i think it was a pocket strapped into his sock yeah he was just stashing it in there um while chick was what two hotels away or something yes um he's a he's his own uh, amateur trained doctor with his own pharmacy he's like an herbalist like a what do they no, he's not. He's uh, not not necessarily an herbalist. Um, he's like a more like a, like an alchemist. Like he's he's mixing his own drugs and stuff. Yeah, uh, alchemist is probably a good description, to be honest. Um, he's a he's a weird little Renaissance man, like running this Ooh. thing because he he's doing everything from high science, trying to figure out how to create, you know, mutant children, all the way to handling literally the medical needs for everybody in the carnival to managing a carnival to being one of the main like ringmasters for um getting people into the shows it's just this this multifaceted talented man and he he's immensely proud of what he's done yes he sees and that that makes him nothing wrong about his uh, dreamlets he calls them you know his little dreamlets he's he's created these children and they have these these great careers as performers and he he very much especially in the beginning when they're young like he he's very much a doting father Mm -hmm. he treats them all very lovingly and um i mean even the first scene in the book is is the kids sitting around while al tells the story of how he and crystal lil met which is she was the geek, hence the she, title. She volunteered to be the geek. She volunteered to be the geek. She showed up in a white t-shirt, got into the geek pit, and bit the heads of chickens. Yeah, because that's what the geek did. <laughs> right, and she she's an interesting figure too. She's kind of like this uh, this 
woman who lived in like the Bostonian kind of well, she was a socialite society, and yeah, and went nuts to it. I went to go and be on the trapeze and ran off with um, Al's circus, mm-hmm. and never looked back. She really never did uh, until except she does. Except like in in the modern era, she she goes to these buildings that she thinks are where she grew up. Mm-hmm. Almost hoping to be recognized. It, it's very tragic, but yeah. she also throughout yeah, the book. Some... She also she uh, holds herself and and acts as if she's still a Bostonian socialite. She she sees herself very much as a um, a woman of 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 good breeding and and of means and right. Um, Even when culture. she's talking about the cheapest way to find sequins for costumes and things that they they yes. sit there and they hand make it, yeah so you know you you have these two people on the same wavelength they 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 create all these these um sideshow attractions what do you think of them the, go ahead i was gonna say do you think because there's a the even early on there's an air that you know some of the children that didn't make it you know some were stillborn some weren't stillborn and then died suddenly not even a hint. It, it's it's fully rec- recognized and realized that Arturo is probably smothering these children because he didn't like the competition. At least one of them, yeah. At least one of them. Well, he tries to kill Chick as well at one point mm-hmm. and gets thrown across the room. Um, yes. So the yeah. the trick is, do you think that them turning a blind eye to Arturo's behavior kind of made him more of a narcissist or less? Well... <sighs> I think that in the case of him trying to smother Chick, already covered for him, and um, or not already, uh, Ollie, Ollie, Ollie covered, yeah, yeah, Ollie covered for him, but but Ollie was in had like a conflict of interest there because Ollie really loved Chick as as a sibling, like mm-hmm. she thought that Chick was was amazing, and um, but she still loved Artie, and so she covered for him, mm-hmm. and. You know, already learned that that chick was not yeah. going to be someone who he could mess with. So rather than try and kill chick, already ended up kind of bringing him into the inner circle. You know, keep your enemies close, I guess. But which um, we we should, we should explain chick as well. He looks like a normal child, but he has this these shockingly powerful telekinetic abilities. Which again ends up, is weirdly normalized in the context of this story. Yeah, he he ends up um, he ends up working in Artie's clinic with the with the cult members, mm-hmm. and he is the at first he's the source of of anesthesia for the yeah for the people. He telekinetically blocks their nervous system from feeling yeah. any of the surgery that's going on, and then when the doctor tries to betray Artie. Chick just becomes the doctor, and he just is like telekinetically yeah. performing surgery right. on people. Now it, it it's interesting as well, um, and I don't know if you got this vibe as well. Chick is very much the exact polar opposite of Artie. Yes, he is in in every shockingly way. caring. He is shockingly empathetic. He doesn't like to touch meat with his hands or his mind, and is a full vegetarian because he can hear it screaming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's just this very calm, quiet, gentle creature who who does, yeah, ends up being sort of bossed around by this, this monstrous narcissistic brother. So the, the whole family dynamic is 
Well, the, the family dynamic changes significantly throughout the book. It does. There's actually one, one scene I want to touch on, which is the one where um, the mobsters, in inverted commas, show up and they try and kill Chick when they're in Vegas. Because um, Al is still trying to figure out ways to, to, help, to get Chick to help him get money. So they, they pin... Um, you know, out of the wall, and they kind of take Chick, and they go to kind of drown him in the bathtub, and of course, they didn't get the full memo, and Chick throws one of these these guys across the room, and you know, leaves him in a heap in the corner, and they kind of flee Ooh. with all the money they've got, and Al grabs Chick and flees, we are with because he genuinely doesn't want his kid to be killed or kidnapped, right? And it it comes it comes out that they're not mobsters. Artie had tipped them off. They're college kids that Artie had set up through a friend that he'd had on the carnival who'd gone back to college to go and scare his dad. Mm -hmm. Though you never entirely find out what happened to the guy that he he threw across the room because Chick hurt him pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not... It's not that Al... Al's reaction is wrong. Al's reaction is correct. It's like, oh God, you know, this thing happened. We can't do this anymore. This is terrible. It's not that Chick's reaction is wrong because Chick just got scared. He's he's four at this point and just lashed yeah. out. It's Artie's reaction, I think, is the interesting one. Which is, you know, well, okay, maybe I didn't expect them to get that rough. I also didn't think it'd be that easy to beat Al. Right. <laughs> right. It's definitely a point where he, he was like, you know, Al has lost his mojo. Yeah. And it's well, yeah, I mean, it definitely precipitates to the, the, the collapse of Al. Al starts to, to weaken considerably after that, mentally and kind of physically. Mm-hmm. It It's also the point, I think, that Arturo realizes he can take over everything mm-hmm. and he's not going to get any pushback. Right. There's no, there's no fight there. There's no sport to be had with his dad. He can take full control of the thing and do what he needs to or wants to and he's genuinely sad about this Mm -hmm. he's looking for the fight you know this is the moment when he loses his hero dad you know his dad is just a normal guy so on that note um what's our next book because um, we we, well, we definitely discussed one that also has a strong um, carnival theme to it, but that one is far more overtly supernatural. Yeah, I've never read it, so I think I think we should go for it. Let's All right do, then, let's let's stay in the carnival. Staying in the carnival, hopefully, hopefully with less incest this time. God, God, please, yes. <laughs> although, although to the book's credit, there isn't ever actually any actual incest. It's sort of just just been in keeping with the whole. The book is um, perfectly insane, but somehow weirdly normalized. Um, the sort of stealth in vitro fertilization. Yes. Via tele- there's, there's definitely via telekinetic means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely definitely like consent triggers in the story. Yeah, yeah. it's um, it's very weird, but yeah. Um, Mar- no, let's, Miranda, let's stick, let's... Miranda is the 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 child of Olympia and Arturo. Yeah, yeah, fertilized in in telekinetically. Yeah, um, and which 
um, Olympia will, will talk that she looks a lot like her father. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, no, the next book we will look at will be um, Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. Yeah. Um, Another heavy hitter of the literary world. Indeed. Um, I may... Because I read this one not too long ago. I may have to reread this one um, because... <laughs> I got it an audio book and I was not feeling that the the guy who was narrating the audio book. Isn't it, isn't it the worst when you get you get an audio book and the guy reading the audio book like reading the book sucks? <laughs> well, I, I I have one of those I, I'm one of those people that has a weird like um, high natural tempo. So oftentimes when I I watch like training videos or if I'm I'm listening to um, not so much with podcasts but like audio books, I have to turn the speed up else they don't work <clears throat> for me. The guy they had for something wicked was this drawling kind of appellation kind of um, voice. So it was just very like, it was the fall. Like many a fall, it was a cold day. And I'm like, oh, dear God. <laughs> so, and yet through all of that, there was there was there was some stuff in the, this book that I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is this is definitely we've had normalized, you know, pseudoscience uh, sideshow freaks. Now we're going to go into fully, fully supernatural <laughs> horror carnival. So back into my wheelhouse. <laughs> so yeah, join us next time and uh, for yet more carnival, but less incest. Yeah. Yes. Thank heavens. If you enjoyed our podcast, consider liking, subscribing, and maybe even recommending to a friend. We'll see you soon.